Welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com. Joined by Lance Meadow, I am John Schmuck. It's all presented by Coors Light, 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. If you want to get in touch with us that way, you certainly can. The second day of OTAs took place today. Yesterday, Lance and Paul were with you. They had a chance to talk about what happened on the field during that first OTA. I was the only one out there from the media for OTA number two. So I'll give you the breakdown on that, and we'll talk a little bit about what happened uh, during media availability yesterday, which was after at least a player session, was after the show. Lance, how you doing? I'm doing very well. How are things with you? I'm doing okay. Let me just run through real quick what happened sure. at practice day before we get to media avails yesterday. And, of course, you can check out the exclusive report on Giants.com, whatever that's posted. I just submitted about five minutes before the show started. I tried to squeeze it in for you guys. But I'll give you a, a brief synopsis now from my notes uh, second straight day was very windy. It was much cooler today than it was yesterday in the mid to high 60s, though the wind it felt like was more in the mid to high 40s. Yesterday, of course, it was in the mid 80s. Um, now we get a weather report. This is good. Well, it, well, the wind affects the quarterback course, play. Absolutely. So the stream does too. But go ahead. Yeah. I think for the second straight day, you had you know the wind affecting some of the throws by the quarterback. Some balls that I think hit the ground that wouldn't normally hit the ground. Uh, there were some really good throws by the quarterbacks. Eli hit Sterling Shepard during team sessions uh, on a perfect deep post to beat Sam Beal for a touchdown. Daniel Jones had a great play where he kind of stepped up in the pocket and hit Russell Shepard on one of those like 25-yard deep outs right on the money, which I thought was a really good play. Once again, Marcus Golden, O'Shane Zimenez, and Cream Martin were active in the backfield. Al Golutri got back there a couple times and running pass. Uh, B.J. Hill was, disrupt- was disruptive, pardon me, um, in that run game. A um, couple other things that I saw, it got a little verbal in a fun way, between the defensive backs and the wide receivers, some trash talk, which I think brings some much-needed energy on a random spring OTA day where you get guys going a little bit by having a little back and forth. That was fun. Maybe this happened yesterday, and I just didn't notice it, but I just found today that Jabril Preppers and Evan Ingram got matched up one-on-one just a ton, and it was almost like they were following each other around the field. Uh, Jabril Peppers, on the first time they were matched up during one-on-ones, almost got an interception undercutting an Ingram. A pass for Ingram, but then I thought Ingram kind of got the best of him the rest of the day, including a real nasty double move in one-on-ones uh, to beat him down the field. Um, and that's kind of the basics of it. There wasn't a ton going on. Again, it's an OTA, folks. There's no contact, so you can only take so much out of it. I'm not going to sit here and grade quarterback play for you. Damn. Um, because... Well, oh, all right. Man, I'm well, looking forward to that. But go right. ahead. I'm sorry. Let me take the rough. No, you didn't. But tremendous. Yeah. Look. I'm not trying to criticize anybody that, that that's not what I'm doing. But let me just put it this way. I would take very much with a grain of salt how people that don't know the plays or get to watch practice on video afterwards on how they quote-unquote grade out players during practices. Um, based on where you're standing and watching, it can be very difficult to see what's going on. A lot of times you don't know if there are penalties on certain plays that might affect how a throw looks. And I think it's just generally <clears throat> tough sometimes to know exactly what's happening based on your vantage point. And I think, you know, a lot of times people are asked to do things that they it's very difficult for them to do based on, you know, where they're standing. But they're being forced to do it by their editors and they do their best. But a lot of times it, it, it's very, very difficult uh, to have a clear understanding of exactly what's going on. Even for me, who's standing right on the sideline and is right there, you know, a lot of times I don't know if a guy's running right route, if it's a good throw, it's a bad throw because of the quarterback or receiver and things like that. So 
Uh, let me put it this way. Just don't take too much out of anything that's out there based on what happens in OTAs because it's just really, really tough to have a good accounting on exactly what's happening out there. And it's the second OTA on May 20th. With a lot of young players on the roster, too. Relax. Let's not make this out to be life and death. That's it. That's all I got for today. Yeah, well, I mean, I think everybody is yearning for information at this point in the offseason. It's course. understandable. So, to your point, that's why I think there's a lot of information out there. And, yes, editors from media outlets do want to push certain agendas. I don't think we're naive. We understand that. Same thing when we got mock drafts in February. Of course. So, you all need to just put things in perspective when you read it, when you consume it. And understand that context is a big part of the conversation. But also, and as I brought up in yesterday's program, and I'll reemphasize it again, John, and this is not so much of productivity, but I think right now is of the now. We're focusing on what's going on at OTAs. I would like people to look back in the archives when we get into week five and week six and you revisit <laughs> the conversations and the analysis that everybody went crazy over of the second OTA in the midst of May. So it's all relative to the time that we're in right now, and I get it. But big picture, all that's happening now is important from the coaching standpoint, from the player standpoint in terms of development, getting reps in. In the big picture of things, whether a guy misses a pass, runs the wrong route now, is it ultimately going to have some connotation on what transpires in week six or week seven? I would not necessarily go that Especially far. for veterans. Exactly. You know, I'm not going to lose my mind over what veterans are doing. If I see a young guy that maybe still trying to prove it to make a roster, and I see a coach constantly yelling and screaming at him, might not be the best sign. Of course. And I'll make the mental note of that. You know, if I see, you know, I'm watching Daniel Jones very closely. This is the first exposure for me to him close up, you know, watching him in person. So I watch very closely everything that he does, and I find it interesting. Do I pass judgments based on what happens in one practice? No, you look at the body of work when everything's said and done and say, all right, well, what do we have? And I think that's the best way to go about things. Anyway, media yesterday, Lance, we had a couple people, different people talk. Um, the main attraction was Eli Manning, the first time we got him since the Giants drafted Daniel Jones. And I don't know what people were looking for, <laughs> but in typical Eli Manning fashion, he basically shrugged off the whole thing. Uh, we, we told you that he knew there was a chance of a draft in a quarterback, and they did, and he shrugged it off. And then he fielded questions about it for 15 minutes, and he kept shrugging it off. And, guys, this is very simple. Eli Mann is going to start the year as a starting quarterback, okay? In camp, now, in camp in the summer, Loletta, Tanny, and Daniel Jones are going to battle for the second and third spots. We'll see how that goes. Eli will be the starter. He'll be the starter as long as he plays well and the team wins games. All bets are off end of the year if the team happens to be out of the playoff race or Eli's playing poorly. We'll see what happens. But the idea that we're going to go out there and grade every practice and get a lot out of these OTAs and make predeterminations that, oh, well, then there's some kind of like election horse race coverage where you're, you know, <laughs> looking at poll numbers and you're trying to figure out who's winning. Let's, let's just relax a little bit. I still remember how everybody thought Davis Webb looked great last summer and then they cut him a week later. More of a reason so, not to overreact. Everybody relax. Yeah. Well, I mean, according to the early results, Eli's got a completion percentage of 81.3. <laughs> and according to a source, Daniel Jones is at 79.4. So take that for what it's worth, people. I don't know if we should read too much into that, but that's what I've been told. On the bright side, Lance, we do know for a fact that Eli Manning is going to mentor Daniel Jones. 
from what I've been told too. Go ahead. Apparently, this is a big topic of discussion. I don't know if you've seen <laughs> the pulse of the nation, but John, this offseason, the dialogue now has been And not just here, by the way. No, right. and that's why I think it's relative and it's somewhat of an interesting conversation because really things to me were completely blown out of proportion just to provide the proper timeline here. Joe Flacco spoke to the media last week. He was just acquired by the Denver Broncos. They moved on from Case Keenum, who's now with the Washington Redskins. And Flacco was posed the exact question. I want to word this correctly so the audience understands context. The media asked him the following. Do you think you were brought in specifically to mentor Drew Locke, who the Broncos drafted in the second round? And his response was, I don't have the exact quote, but I'm paraphrasing. He brushed it off and said, no, that's not my job. I'm here to win games and help the Denver Broncos get to the playoffs. That was the gist of his conversation. Which, by the way, is probably exactly what John Elway told them when they signed him. And I don't doubt that at all. Now, the narrative became, well... Joe Flacco shouldn't say that. He should be open and welcoming of a young quarterback. His job is to guide him along and this and that. And I found it actually, John, refreshing what Joe Flacco said. You know, for once a quarterback was honest when he spoke to the media, which serves as the voice to then get to the fans, that he's here to win games and that his pri- <clears throat> is his priority. Now, I-, I think we read too much into that as an entire NFL audience because Eli, to me, vocalized what I think Joe Flacco was trying to get at. And what Eli vocalized, John, is he spoke very thoroughly about the dynamics of the quarterback room and saying that it's also on the young quarterbacks in that room to be vocal, to ask questions, to observe, to sit back, to be a sponge. And that, to me, is also the process of mentoring a quarterback, meaning it's not the job of the veteran quarterback, John, to just sit there and say, did you understand that? Do you get that? Do you need me to break it down further for you? Yeah, Eli's not sitting in front of a chalkboard with a piece of chalk like doing 40-minute lesson plans. And and that's what I think, I'm not saying all fans think this way or all media members, but that's where the conversation was steered towards, that you know, Eli Manning has to lay out the red carpet for Daniel Jones. Joe Flacco's got to lay out the red carpet for Drew Locke, and he's got to babysit him. He's got to hold his hand, which I thought was absolutely ridiculous. I think there's a give-and-take relationship in the quarterback room, and Eli, if you don't have an opportunity, I suggest that you go back. Giants.com has the full press conference, but also it's on Twitter, on social media, and from the two-minute mark to the 404 mark on the Giants' Twitter handle, okay, of the first segment of his press conference, he talks about this in great detail, and I thought he summed it up very nicely, where he was explaining it's on Daniel Jones, just like it was on Davis Webb, and it was on Kyle Loletta and Ryan Nassib, if you want to go back. For them, when they're in the room, they observe the conversations, John, that Eli has with his quarterback's coach. What he's talking to his quarterback's coach when they're reviewing the practice film. Or, by the way, in the Giants' case, Mike Shula, who is not technically the quarterback's coach. Well, he has both roles. And anybody else who held that role, Kevin Gilbride and so forth, we're not going to bore you with the details. Exactly. All of those guys. It's the job of the rookie quarterback to sit back and observe and, and see how does Eli interact with his quarterback coach? What does he pick up on film? So that when I become the starting quarterback, that's the type of work ethic. Those are the types of things that I need to pick up on. And I think he explained it in great detail. I don't think it necessarily appeased to the media enough or perhaps some fans, but 
I thought he handled it beautifully. And this is the other thing that I want to emphasize. Were there actually complaints about what Eli said? No, I don't think there was so much, but okay. I think that there was a lot of conversation from what I saw on social media about, and, and I'll give credit to fans, a lot of fans who did actually take the time to see the back and forth with the media felt that he was being peppered with the same question 15 different ways, and like Eli's done all throughout his career, he handled it fine. So I don't think there was a great deal of controversy. I just looked at it, John, in this my personal opinion. It was a carryover of the Joe Flacco conversation. A little bit. About I mentoring agree. a young quarterback and what is the priority of the veteran quarterback. But I want to emphasize, and I put this up on social media. This is an exact quote, John, from Pat Shermer on the night that the Giants drafted Daniel Jones. Because he was asked about what's Eli Manning's role, what's his job. He said the following. I told Eli when we visited, it's your job to win games and keep this guy off the field. End quote. I mean, what else do we need to talk about? The head coach made it very clear, Eli Manning's a starter. His job is to prepare for opponents, go out and win games. So, you know, as far as what they expect out of Eli Manning, for him to hover over Daniel Jones and guide him along, I don't think that's necessarily what Pat Shermer or even Dave Gettleman had in mind. It should be Daniel Jones hovering over Eli Manning. Exactly. Like you said, he's going to go about his business, watch his extra tape, do his extra work, interact with Mike Shula, interact in the quarterback room, and do all his extra work in preparation. It's Daniel Jones's job to be there while Eli's watching all that film and getting all that done. So he can watch and see how he does it and learn that way. It's just like us in this industry. You know, when we were both young, both, you know, relatively young broadcasters, you were around other people that have done it for a longer time and are in the business. They don't sit down and teach you a class in broadcasting. No, you watch the way they do it and the way that people go about their business in any field. And you, you don't emulate and copy them, but you learn how certain methods or preparation makes you better at what you do. And it's no difference in that quarterback room where that's where Daniel Jones is going to learn this stuff. And the guy I don't think anybody's talking about here, and I talk to people around the building about it, is Alex Tanny. And you want to talk about someone that can more directly mentor somebody? I think you're looking at Tanny more than you're looking at Eli Manning, a guy that's been around for a long time. You know, Pat Shermer appreciates his football acumen. Uh, he's virtually an extra coach in that room. He's not sitting there fighting for a starting job. He understands he's the backup. That's yep. his role. So he has the time where if Daniel, while Eli Manning's trying to get ready to beat the Cowboys opening week, if he has extra questions, guess what? Alex Tanny's going to be there to ask him to ask questions to, and he'll give, be able to work with him a lot more. So I think that's another part of the quote-unquote mentoring relationship in that room. After practice just the other day, I saw Alex Tanny working with Kyle Lillette on the side. Because, you know, Kyle right now can't participate in team drills. He's just doing individual stuff because of his knee uh, recovery. And Tanny went out of his way after practice to work with, with Loletta on stuff. And Loletta guy is a guy that's trying to take his job. So I think that's another part of all this as well as you begin to move forward. Yeah, think, yeah go ahead. Lunch. No, I think that's a great point, actually, that you just brought up because I think Tanny understands where he is in his career. He's been with a variety of teams. He also knows the Pat Shermer offense because he was on the team last year. So he can dedicate his time and have conversations with some of these younger quarterbacks a little bit more than Eli Manning. Not that Eli Manning can't have those conversations in the classroom, John, where they're actually preparing for an opponent, but maybe outside of practice, he's more interested in, to your point, breaking down film of the upcoming opponent as opposed to working on things on the actual practice field. Or how about during practice? While Eli's taking the snaps at the first team, he's standing there next to Tanny, and they're talking about what's going on. Exactly. You know, things like that. So they're, and, you know, during regular season practice where, you know, Jones is going to get far fewer reps than he's getting during training camp, same deal. He'll be sitting there with Tanny, and they'll be going through things as practice is going on. So 
Just something else to keep in mind. The other thing related to that before we maybe have a few quick points on some other pressers, I thought it was interesting. I'm curious your thoughts. When Shermer spoke to the media yesterday, my biggest takeaway was, and I'm not one that loves to read into things, but it seems to me as if he claimed that anyone behind D-line Manning, there's jobs completely up for grabs. I don't think he looks at anyone as a front runner. You know, like I would have thought... Tanny's got a leg up right now because he's the veteran. I know Shermer values having a veteran quarterback because without many practice reps can easily go into a game. But he was asked about Daniel Jones's reps and where Daniel Jones is. He made it at least clear to his answer through the media that I think right now they're looking at the number two job and the number three job very much open between those three guys. Yeah, I agree. And look, when it's one thing if you're a third or a fourth round pick. It's another thing if you're the sixth overall pick in the draft. And look, this is gonna. This isn't up to Alex Tanney. I think how Alex Tanney plays in the, in the preseason and training camp and everything is almost irrelevant. I think they know what they have in him, right? It all depends on how well Daniel Jones plays. If Daniel Jones shows up and outplays Alex Tanney and the coaching staff believes mentally they can depend on him to step in and do the job on a, at a moment's notice during the season, which is what you need a backup quarterback to do if your quarterback gets injured in the middle of a game, I think Daniel Jones will be given the number two job. Now, does that mean Tanny's not going to be three and Lolette is going to be three? Not necessarily either. If they think Tanny still brings value in other ways that maybe Lolette doesn't, I could see that. But yeah, I see a scenario of Jones plays well enough that he could be the number two quarterback on opening day. I think that's very possible. Yeah, I think a lot of it depends on his progress and how his feel for the offense continues throughout the course of the preseason, the offseason, and training camp. That's going to determine it because right now, I think it goes without saying, Tanny has far more insight and understanding of this offense than any of the quarterbacks. I'd include Kyle Lillette in that because Tanny's got at least some starting experience, some more regular season game experience. Absolutely. As it stands right now. But that doesn't mean that the conversation can't change perhaps two or three months down the road here. 100%. Uh, what else from the other pressers that, that, that jumped out from you, Lance? Well, Janoris Jenkins, and this is somewhat connected to the Eli Manning-Joe Flacco conversation, by the way. Don't you find it funny that... There's always the focus on the veteran quarterback mentoring the young quarterback, but why don't we have any of those debates with other positions? Well, I thought Je- I thought that was put on Jenkins a little bit. If you remember, Gettleman said after the draft that as now it's Janoris's job to kind of you know get these puppies going. I believe was the term he used. Yeah. So yeah. But I just find it interesting that that doesn't happen a lot. For example, when the young linebacker is drafted <laughs> by a team, why doesn't anyone? And this is not necessarily the Giants situation, but why doesn't anybody take Alec Ogletree to the side and say, Alec? Isn't your number one priority, let's say the Giants drafted Devin White, to make sure Devin White gets the necessary intel and everything else about the NFL before week one? We just, there's not enough of that questioning. It's just, the focus is always on the quarterback position. I get it. It's the most important position. I understand that. I know I'm stating the obvious. But to me, it's also important to point out veterans can provide a lot of great talking points to young players at other positions. But here's just one interesting little tidbit. Speaking of the youth of the cornerback room. Janoris Jenkins is entering his eighth season in the NFL, John, so he's got seven years of experience. There are eight other corners, as it stands right now, on the roster who have combined for 10 seasons of NFL experience. Two players account for seven of that. So that also, to me, says a lot in terms of Hamilton and in terms of Lippitt. And then Sam Beal technically has got one year of NFL experience, yet he hasn't played one NFL game. So eight of those 10 seasons in the NFL— Three players make up that, and one of the guys didn't even get on the field last year. That just goes to show you how much this roster is turned over, and Janoris is way ahead of the curve 
compared to what any of those other corners have seen throughout their NFL lens. I was happy to hear during Jenkins' press conference that business remains business. Yes. And that has not changed. His money quote, <laughs> indeed. And he it. also claimed that he was 110% right now, well, as opposed to 100%. Someone else that I mentioned he's near 100% or at 100% is Sam Beal, said he doesn't worry about the shoulder anymore. It's the first time we've really got a chance to talk to him. Quiet kid, but a quiet confidence. Says he believes he can hold on to that starting cornerback job. Obviously, he's been with the ones next to Janoris Jenkins at the start of camp. DeAndre Baker might have something to say about that before all is said and done. Which is nice good competition. competition yeah. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, he has a good frame. He looks like a corner. And Pat Shermer was very complimentary of, of what he saw in terms of his movement skills. And, you know, he said last year it was weird not playing. It was the first time he really ever suffered a major injury. But he's ready to go this year, and he hasn't missed any reps in practice so far. And we'll see if he can uh, make the Giants look smart for using that third-round supplemental pick on him last summer. Well, he's already been extremely active in the early stages of OTAs, which is encouraging. And he was able to deflect a pass yesterday that Jabril Peppers ultimately picked off. So when you look at that, you see that the confidence is there. And the other thing that he was asked about was, well, you know, the pads are not on right now. How do you mentally prepare for that hit? And a lot is going to be told once he actually does get in the midst of training yeah. camp. But so far, so good. I think it's really encouraging to see him running around considering you know he was limited last year because of that shoulder injury. Then Remmers and Zeitler both spoke, and they just, you know, you look at him like, all right, you're an offensive lineman. I get it. <laughs> yeah. You know, you could fit three Lance Meadows inside of one Kevin Zeitler. I mean, the guy is Boy, wide is as can be. Holy cow. Wow. And Remmers is not a small guy either. So I think those two guys will do a really nice job stabilizing the right side of that offensive line. Zeitler could play at an all-pro level. Remmers, I think, should be solid, maybe not fantastic, especially in pass pro, but he'll certainly be an improvement. And the Giants should really know what they're getting out of that offensive line. Remember every year, Lance, we're like, oh, well, you know, how well is, how much better is Flowers going to get? Can Bobby Hart hold it together? What are they going to do here? You know, you don't have that many questions like you used to, which is nice. Well, you have two proven veterans, John. I think that's the biggest difference. Some of those other players you mentioned were still young, up-and-coming players. So the difference is you're not necessarily going to get all pros. Nobody's claiming that. Time will tell. But you know that you're going to get some consistency and you're going to get guys that have seen a lot throughout the course of their NFL careers. And, you know, my other takeaway was both of those guys are very easy to talk to. Yes. Very forthcoming in terms of, you know, having a conversation, not necessarily giving you the cliched answers when they're asked questions. You know, Remmers, for example, was asked about the ankle injury that he dealt with at this time last year, right before training camp, right before the season. And the question was posed, and I thought it was a fair question, but the question was laid out for him to basically say, yeah, you know what? That's why I didn't necessarily perform great at the guard spot. I was changing positions. I also wasn't fully healthy. And you know what? He didn't take the bait to use that excuse. He said, no, it took me a few weeks, but by week five, I was fully healthy and it is what it is. But he's very excited to be back at tackle. He feels that's his most comfortable position. The reason why he was moved over at guard with the Vikings was through his perspective, they looked at the competition last year in Minnesota. They wanted to put the five best guys on the field. And we hear that a lot. Hal Hunter, by the way, Giants offensive line coaches said this. You know, it's not necessarily finding the guys that, you know, are best fits. It's about putting the best five offensive linemen on the field. And a lot of coaches always bring that up. And I think there's some pros and cons to that because sometimes you get into a scenario like a Mike Remmers last year where Remmers 
could have arguably been one of the five best offensive linemen on the Vikings. I don't think anybody's debating that. But when you move a guy into now a position where he hasn't necessarily had as much exposure, are you actually getting the five best guys to perform? Is he going to perform like one of the five best guys at guard? And that, I think, is what Remmer's biggest takeaway was. So that, I thought, was interesting. Zeitler also shed some interesting light on the fact learning a new offense, playing next to a new right tackle, nothing new for him been doing it for the last five years, including this year, because of all the changes that he had to deal with going back to his Cincinnati days. Remember, it was Jay Gruden, and then it was Hugh Jackson. Then he goes to Cleveland. He had Hugh Jackson, by the way, before actually he left to Cleveland, had Ken Zampezi as his offensive coordinator, who then joined him in Cleveland. A lot of movement in both of those scenarios. So now being thrown back in with Pat Shermer, I think, helps but he's also playing next to a new right tackle, which he's had to do for many years between Cincy and Cleveland. All right, let's do phone calls, 201-939-4513. It's all presented by Coors Light. Let's go to Bob in Spokane. He leads us off today. Hey, Bob. Good morning, gentlemen. Thanks very much for taking my call. Hi, Bob. Thanks for making it. How are you? Doing uh, very well. Listen, John, I wanna, the purpose of my call is I've been a Giant fan um, most of my adult life. Well, longer than that. I don't think it was the greatest game ever played. <laughs> I think it was close to the greatest game ever played that I didn't like the final score. That's how long I've been a Giant fan. Um, and I've got to say that uh, I had a health issue 12 years ago that had me homebound for, for quite a long time. Oh, sorry about that. And, sorry to hear that. Oh, it's all right. It's, uh, things are clear and bright now. Good. It's good to hear. But one of my only sources of any light in my dark, painful little world was giant news. And uh, I can't tell you how much I appreciated it. Because the Giants represent something real special to me. They are, it's about work and persistence and respect. And they've always been that way. And sometimes when they're down, I'm, you know, I'm down. And uh, when they're doing well, I absolutely it's inspiring and it's encouraging. And I think of encouragement, I think that word means a gift of courage. Giants have always been encouraging to me during some pretty rough times personally. But so the point I want to make is it was finally last year that I got the right uh, mix of technology to where I could hear your audio. (laughs) And (laughs) I I read everything and and I look the pictures or that my, you know, that's my candy, the photographs. But to hear everyone uh, is a, it's really a, a lot of added value. Um, and I want, I want to thank you for all the work that you do to provide the information and the insight that you do. Well, thank you, Bob. We appreciate I, I, it. Appreciate that. It's, it's remarkable to hear. Everyone's talking about the quarterback room. I didn't quite understand the draft of, of Jones, but I understand. I think Gettleman is the best evaluator of, of talent in the NFL. So there's there's obviously a reason. And when I got to hear your interview with this old coach, and when I got to hear everyone talking about him, I totally got it. Um, I really appreciated Lance what you were saying this morning about the so-called quarterback controversy. Um, I really appreciated that whole that whole layout of that. Uh, I remember Roethlisberger's reaction when they drafted a quarterback last That's year. That's another good example. Is that the norm? 
or is Eli the norm of what a real professional does and how all those people handle that? There's so much insight you guys have given about not just the quarterback room, but all the rooms, the offensive line room, uh, the defensive backs room. That's real football. That's how football is really played. It's not talk. It's action. Thank you, Bob. It's so great to be back two days of real football. I know that they aren't pads, but the sausage is being made. (laughs) <laughs> and it's glorious. It's so nice to hear and see how it's how it's starting out. I've never been more optimistic about a season in my entire life than this one. Wow, strong words. Yeah, Bob. Bob, that's very kind of you. We appreciate it, and 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 thanks a lot for the call. We certainly appreciate um, those kind words. Thank you. Uh, we enjoy what we do, and we hope that you guys enjoy it as well. And I get all just speaking for myself. I had a lot of fun being out there on the field last couple of days. It's been too long, so. Always good to have football back. Absolutely. Glad to hear that Bob's doing much better. Yes. After uh, having to be homebound. So uh, encouraging for him as well. And I mean, I'm glad he actually brought up Ben Roethlisberger. I don't want to go off on a whole tangent, John. I know we want to get to some more phone calls, but Roethlisberger actually is related to the conversation with respect to Flacco and Eli because Ben has been very vocal in the previous years to the caller's point when the Steelers have brought in some young quarterbacks and Big Ben has not necessarily you know welcomed it through the media's lens of saying oh yeah bring the guy in I'm looking forward to it I'm so excited and by the way I'm not sure Brady's been exactly accepting things of those guys that's either. fair too and you know what you know what though I do have a problem if they purposely try not to well, that's different. Let the guys learn and like keep them like like. Let's say Brady goes and watches extra tape, and he says, "Like, no, Garoppolo, get out of here." Yeah, that's but, a problem. But, but, but I don't know if no they're doing. I don't know that. if they're Correct. doing that. So Correct. I wouldn't go so far. Right. I, I get your point. And even if guys like Flacco and Big Ben are not showing an overwhelming amount of enthusiasm, once again, here's where do you draw the line, John? Between that's just the guy's personality and how he interacts with reporters versus what's actually going on in the quarterback room. Right. And you never really hear, nor probably would a young quarterback admit it because they don't want to provide drama. Landry Jones, for example, who was on the Steelers roster. You never heard him run to a reporter or anonymous source get back to somebody. Landry Jones is unhappy because Big Ben is locking out of the quarterback room. <laughs> so I don't think any of that yeah. is going on. Well, and again, that was my, my, my intention there. wasn't to indicate no, that I thought not. that was going on. But you're right. As long as you're not actively trying to stop this kid from learning, and exactly, what's the difference? 201-939-4513. It's all presented by Coors Light. Steve in Rhode Island is up next. Hey, Steve. Hey, John. Hey, Lance. Long time. Hey, Steve. How are we doing, Steve? Good, guys. Thanks very much for uh, taking my call. Yeah, go ahead. Long time, Giant fan. I just want to give a quick shout-out to your previous caller. I just had a hard time with uh, audio. I couldn't get anything about the Giants up here, and then somebody turned me on to a Roku, and now I watch your guys' the Giants channels on, like, six hours a day probably. Oh, great. Nice. Much, but, but you guys are great. I appreciate the chance to talk. What I want to say is I was one of those people on uh, draft night that just sat there throwing things at the TV. What the hell are you doing? I mean, I had so much faith in Gettleman and, and the, the whole staff and everything else, but as I calmed down because I'm – that age where I've been with the Giants since I was seven years old. Um, Gettleman was right. You guys were right. Give give it a chance. And as I watched each interview, which each with each draft pick, I realized 
These are quality human beings. Well, Steve, These guys care about what they do. Steve, here's the thing. They care about other people. It's just amazing. I can't wait for the season to start. It's, Steve, it isn't even about being right or wrong because we're not. His play will dictate who's right or wrong. We don't exactly. have we don't have a choice but to give him a chance. Do you know why? That's what the organization's going to do. So whether or not fans or media people want to give the kid a chance, it doesn't matter because he's no, going to get a chance, and we're going to see what happens. Right. And result, that's look, right. this is a results-oriented business. You know you needed a future quarterback. They drafted him. If he plays well, it's right. right. If he doesn't, it's wrong. We'll find right. out, period. I think I think Mr. Gettleman hoped that, you know, with as far as the uh, defensive players, that he had, you know, gotten something a little quicker. But the guys he picked, I mean, they seem like they're going to they're gonna walk on and, and they're going to be starting. Uh, you know, I honestly thought that I was going to see the front page of the New York Post with Gettleman being hung in effigy from a, from a tree <laughs> because of what he did to the Giants. I'm like, this guy's done nothing but make us so much better, so much faster than I ever imagined. Well, not like yet. I said, I'm not, not going to take up too much of your time. First time caller, I will be calling back. You guys are great. The whole, everybody there, Seagulls, all the guys. Oh, well, some of us Carl are good, Bank but anyway. In there. Yeah. I wish you'd bring in some more giant, ex-giants in there. Uh, good work, guys. Keep it up, and thanks for your time. Hey, appreciate all it, Steve. Steve. And I, so let me just say in. this, and look, let's not say things have gotten so much better so much faster than anyone would have expected. Dave Gettleman's been here for one season. They went from 3-13 and 13 to 5-11, and 11, okay? Yeah, it's two more wins, but let's not throw a parade. I know they're not throwing a parade upstairs. I know Dave Gettleman wasn't happy with five and eleven. I know Pat Shermer wasn't happy with five and eleven. No one's happy with five and eleven. Let's see what happens this year. Yeah, it's all about you know what these guys are ultimately going to produce on the field. I- I'm never a big fan of this grading mentality immediately after the draft. I get it. It goes back to the conversation, John, you and I were having earlier about the overreaction to just about everything coming out of OTAs. Editors, they want to throw out the information of grades because they think fans want to read that stuff. And that's why we live no, in no, a it world. It isn't that they think fans want to read that stuff. Fans want to read well, that stuff. I, well, yeah, I mean, do. I, I don't want to group every fan together. I think, yes, there's Enough a bulk of, of fans, do. true, that do want to see somebody crown their team. Well, let me give you an example. Or somebody not crown their team. I talk to our guys upstairs, right? Dan Salomon does his mock draft tracker on Giants.com, where he tracks mock drafts. You know what gets the most hits on oh, Giants.com? Yeah. The mock draft tracker. Yeah. Even though in February, mock drafts don't mean a damn thing. In March, they don't mean a damn thing. But that's what people want to click on. Do you know why? The way we, and here comes sociology. Oh, yeah. The world in which we live in now. This is going to be deep. Everyone wants their information now. But more so than that, Lance, people want their conclusions based off that information now. So even though not all the information is available, everything that needs to happen to come to that proper conclusion has actually occurred yet. Everyone wants the analysis and the conclusion as quickly as possible and before it's even feasible to have that conclusion have any sort of merit. Yeah, because there's not enough evidence. So then what happens? People that are in charge go call their reporters or their writers and tell them, this is what I want you to write. And the reporter might say, well, I, you know, I, I, I don't know that yet. And he goes, the editor says, I don't care. Write your opinion then. And... That's how we get where we're at today. Instantaneous gratification, I think, is the best way to sum things up. Everybody wants it immediately, and they don't want to wait out the results. But any draft class, you need to give them 
three years to me minimum to really determine whether or not it was a wise decision. And, you know, I know we're revisiting some of the conversations we've had, but Daniel Jones, until he gets on the field, you know, we could continue to play this game of speculation. You're not going to know anything. Same thing with Dwayne Haskins. You're not going to know until these guys get on the field and how things play out. They're always going to be connected, absolutely, because they're tied into the same draft class. But you're going to have to wait and see what happens before we make the bold declaration of this was the right pick, this was the wrong pick, and so forth. Right, and there's a range of outcomes for every player in every sport. And, you know, this happens now with everyone talking about what's going to happen in the NBA draft, right? There's a range of outcome for every player. Not every player improves in a linear line like this, yeah, right? Paths. Some players do this and never get better, and they level out. Some guys don't do much, and then all of a sudden, whoop, they go really fast, really good. Other guys in their first year in the league, whoop, they go get much better right away. Every player will improve or not improve at different rates. And that's what makes drafting players so difficult because you're trying to predict how a bunch of teenagers are going to turn into men and how they're going to handle making a lot of money, going to a new place, doing things they've never done before. And that's what makes it so challenging. Well, because what you just hit on is that the environment is just as important as the skill set of the player, John. Of course it is. So I could take a quarterback, I could put him in one team, he may struggle. If I then hypothetically put him elsewhere, maybe that environment he thrives. You know, all of that is part of the give and take that these executives are trying to figure out. I I go back to, I had a tweet pinned on my account for more than a year. And the tweet simply said, there's no such thing as a can't-miss prospect. And it was that simple. And I had a couple things after that, but that was the gist of it. And people were like, well, Tim Duncan was a can't-miss prospect. And my response to them was, what happens if Tim Duncan winds up with a team that's not the Spurs and not coached by Greg Popovich? You just don't know. Then what? I Maybe mean, he wins one title? And no one's a bigger Tim Duncan fan than me. He's the best. I love Tim Duncan to death. But if he's not put in that environment where he develops the way he develops or is put within a team concept that emphasizes defense the way the Spurs do, do you see the best version of Tim Duncan without the other pieces around them playing in a way that makes him look as good as he is? So everybody's affected by what happens around them. You look at, like Alex Smith, it took him, and he's one of your favorite guys. I always it took him, him so long to develop because the Niners were changing offenses left and right. He was never in a stable situation. Now, did he ever become a superstar? No, but he became a solid NFL quarterback. But look, his first few years in the league, no improvement, no improvement, yeah. no improvement. Then all of a sudden, whoop, and then he leveled off again. Stability at the OC Correct. position, talent around him. And look at what he did with Harbaugh and Greg Roman and then Kansas City with Andy Reid. Extremely Eli, productive Eli quarterback. Eli took three and a half years. Guys, halfway through 2007, you wanted to be, like, gone. We were here. I remember what happened after that Vikings game when Darren Sharper intercepted him a billion times. Every one of them out on his ass. It was his fourth season. Yeah. Fourth. Which is why the environment is something you have to talk about, which is why we always bring up the offensive line, the defense, because all of these things go hand-in-hand with one another. By the way, do we know if David Robinson was enthusiastic about mentoring <laughs> Tim Duncan? Is the jury still out with that one? I don't know. Maybe we need to revisit that. We want to remind yeah. you that Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by Coors Light. While we really just the two old men in the balcony today, like the Muppets, just complaining about how the world works today. Oh, boy. Sociology. I didn't think we were getting a lesson out of you yeah, today. Muppets. Boy. Let's go to Frank in New Jersey. He's up next. Frank, what's going on? Hey, guys. How are you today? We're great, Frank. How are you? All right. Always a pleasure listening to you, fellas. Uh, Mr. Gettleman had mentioned he wanted uh, eight to ten million in cap space going into the season. 
Yes. Uh, that's going to be a little rough. You guys have any ideas of how we could do that? And uh, just to follow up on that, I would love somebody on a short-term contact like Nick Perry to say hello to us. Yeah, you know what's funny, Frank? And let me touch on Nick Perry. I'm not going to touch on him specifically, but I know a lot of people have mentioned the idea of bringing in another pass rusher. And look, you can't have enough pass rushers. I'm not going to argue with that point. But I do think you're getting to a point here where you want to make sure you get O'Shane Zimenez, the X-Man, X number of snaps. No pun intended. You want to make sure you get Lorenzo Carter, X number of snaps. And then, you know, you want to get Marcus Golden snaps. So, and then Kareem Martin's here too, by the way, and he's a solid player. Is there room for another guy you bring in to get the requisite snaps that he requires to be an effective player? I mean, can you carry more than four outside linebacker edge rushers? I don't know if you can. So that's why I'm not sure at this point adding another guy, if he's not going to be a star-level player, makes a lot of sense for you. Well, just to follow up on what you had said, uh, Mr. Mara had mentioned, hey, you can never have enough of them, meaning quarterbacks. Yeah, of course. Sure. You know, so edge rushers, I feel the same way. Well, um, but but Frank, you know, let, let, let me let him compete. Let him compete. Use it rotational. You know how uh, uh, Betcher is back there. Well, Frank, uh, I, I so, think you bring up before. Sorry, just be, to follow up, well, how no, are we yeah, Frank. Get cap money to get to, uh, ten million into the season. Well, we'll, we'll get we'll, we'll get into that in a second here, Frank. But I, I just want to piggyback off of something John said. And to your point, I agree with you. You can never have enough competition. But I, I think what John was hitting on, and I think is important to note. Notice that in the past few years, the Giants have brought in established veterans right before the start of training camp. And I think part of the rationale was, let's see what the young guys could do with the additional snaps during OTAs. Let's see how they develop. If we're not content with how they're coming along, then maybe we bring in the established veteran. Remember, Leon Hall came in. When did Connor Barwin come in last year? Barwin came in right before training camp. At the very beginning of camp, maybe even two or three days into Perfect camp. Perfect example. Israel Adonijah, right, right. I'll go back. Who remember him? I do remember And, and I thought Adonijay, he was going to yeah. get in over Kerry Wynn. Yes, so did I. And Israel Adonijah was brought in, and he ultimately lost out to Kerry Wynn. But I think part of the rationale was now is the time, no pads are on. Give the young guy snaps. And here's the other thing. You know, you brought up Nick Perry. Nick Perry also may be of the mindset where he doesn't want to have to be in the mix during OTAs. I'm not comparing him to Brett Favre, but I remember when Brett Favre was going from team to team, there was always chatter. Brett didn't want anything to do with OTAs. That's why he'd always show up right when <laughs> camp started. Now, I'm not saying Nick Perry's in that situation, yeah. Frank, or in that position, but I think that's a big part of why veterans sometimes wait before camp because teams want to see what the young guys could do. So just understand that perspective. And, and then, Frank, very very quickly on, on your question on the cap, I always thought 8-10 to 10 was a number that Gettleman mentioned at the combine was a little bit of a high number. I don't think you have to have quite that much. I think having four to six is more typical, and the Giants are right in that range. So I don't think, despite what Dave Gettleman said at the Combine, they have to do anything else major to be in a comfortable situation come the regular season. I think they're okay. You think Ellison might be a trade bait? Five mil, four, four and a half million? No, space? no. I think they need Red Ellison as a second tight end on this team. I think they value his uh, ability to block, and you're going to see a lot, a lot of 12 personnel, which is two tight ends on the field at the same time this year. And Ellison's your number two guy. They like Scott Simonson, but he's not Red Ellison. So I don't think Ellison's going anywhere. Okay, just a last thought on Nick Perry. Um, it looks like it's a prove-it deal. 
because the guy's been injured for two years oh, with all the fingers and the hands, and we could probably get him on the cheap. And you know, I'm just saying, this is just a thought. Well, okay. Frank, thank you, Frank. I, I Appreciate mean, the once call. Once again, I, I think it's a fair point, and thanks for the phone call. Look at what Shane Rages got from the Baltimore Ravens. I mean, they weren't necessarily throwing a lot of money at him. He's also an approve it type of deal. He was phased out in the Denver rotation. It was a guy that I brought up multiple times on this program as somebody who's a low risk, high reward, but. Baltimore also lost a lot of guys in free agency. So, you know, their need is much different Suggs, than the Giants' need, John. And, Smith. And, and, and when you go from Baltimore's perspective here, you know, they may have had a conversation with Shane and said, Shane, you know, we envision bringing you in. We're going to give you X amount of snaps. Playing time is going to be this. Whereas, you know, the Giants are not comfortable bringing in maybe a guy like Nick Perry and promising him things, John. When they, to your point, Lorenzo Carter and O'Shane Zimenez are not here to ride the bench. They're here to play and, and develop. Marcus Golden is not an old player Golden's either. Golden's another the way. one. Yeah. So you know all of those conversations, which we're not privy to because they happen behind closed doors, is part of what goes on before the pen is put to paper and contracts are signed. I, I know it's great to look at the free agent market and say, well, why doesn't my team go after this guy? Why doesn't my team go after that guy? And remember, there's other dynamics. Just like not to get off topic again. Daniel Jones had conversations with the Giants, which had nothing to do with John on the field matters. And those are the things that appealed to them. They spoke to David Cutcliffe. They spoke to his coaches. They wanted to know the man, Daniel Jones, not just what happens on the field. All of that information we're not necessarily having in front of us, but that's a big part of the conversation. 201-939-4513, hashtag Giants Chat. It's all presented by Coors Light. Let's go to Mike in Oakland, California. He's up next. Hey, Mike. Hey guys, what's happening? We're good, Mike. What's Hi, Mike. up? Hey, um, I'm just having a really good time listening to callers today because, um, you know, hearing some optimism is uh, is a nice change. I'm really enjoying the heck out of it. You know? Yeah, Mike, I'll say this too. I, I think it's important. And last year, I think we we tried to settle people down a little bit. I think cautious optimism is important because you are coming off a five and eleven year. You still have a lot of questions on defense. You're relying on a lot of young, inexperienced cornerbacks, which can, in this league, be a very dangerous thing. You don't have any established pass rushers, so there's still a lot of question marks out there. I think the offense is going to be better than fine. I think the team will be entertaining and fun to watch. How many games they're going to win, it remains to be seen. Yeah, for sure. But but like you know, in this time of the year, if you're a fan, you number one, you might as well have optimism, right? Of course, hundred uh, percent. Because this is supposed to be fun. Yeah. I mean, this is why I watch football, why I listen to the shows, and and I, I want to say like that. I think we have some good reason for optimism. Now the wins haven't been there, especially the last two years have been rough. But I think if you look at last year, we got some good reasons for optimism. So let me just throw a couple out there. Sure. Um, Number one, I, I, I look at uh, uh, five losses by three points or less uh, last season, right? I look at a team, um, and including, uh, you know what, at least three of those were playoff teams, maybe even four of them, Eagles, Colts, Cowboys. I know I don't remember if the Falcons went to the playoffs last year, to be honest. No, but, the Falcons um, did not. But, yeah, but you know what, I want to say know, one thing, Mike, about that Cowboys game. You know, they scored a touchdown late in that game. The Cowboys controlled that game for oh, – are you talking about the first Cowboy game or – or the second Cowboy game? Which one? The second. Oh, the second one. Okay, that's fair. That's End fair then. That's fair. That's fair then. Okay. I take it back. Go ahead. And then and that's the other point for optimism. I mean, if you if you look at just the number of points we scored, I'm just going to rattle a couple good ones off, at least in my mind, then I, w- I want to hear what you guys think. So, number one, we lost a bunch of games by not a heck of a lot, and our schedule was kind of tough. 
they say we got one of the easiest schedules in the NFL based upon last year's um, well, records. But that's the and, key you know, I know there. teams change a lot, but they do. that couldn't hurt, right? Well, I I hate that statistic. I think it means absolutely nothing, Mike. Uh, listen, I'm gonna be honest with you. You know, I I get you're trying to look at for the optimism, and I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer here. But strength of schedule is irrelevant, Mike. It, it means nothing because I don't know what team's gonna look like in week 15 and week 16. Neither do you. Who knows how the quarterback situation is gonna play out? Injuries. It, it's to me. It's holding on to hope there in claiming that how a team fares in 2018 is going to be a continuation of 2019. And that's why I get your point about a lot of close games last year. But let's face it, the roster has changed. The defense is going to look different. There's a bunch of young corners. They're going to throw out different personnel. Whether they played a close game in 2018, I think, means absolutely nothing in terms of how this team is going to be competitive in 2019. Here's another example. If you go back to that 2016 season, if you remember, Mike, and that was the year they made the playoffs in a span of a number of years where they've missed, you know, that season could have ended much differently too. They played a lot of close games. They won those games. But I could give you plenty of examples. The ball's not deflected. Odell Beckham doesn't make a catch and runs it in for a touchdown. The Giants could have been an 8-18 eight and 18 that year. So it's a very fine line we're talking about. And here. I think a good oh, – rather, rather than looking at those close games, Mike, I think you take a look at what the team's plus-minus is. I like looking at point differential. I think point differential okay. is a real good guide – at determining how good your team was. Because odds are those close games are going to even out. You're going to win some close ones. You're going to lose some close ones, okay? So the Giants, uh -huh. if you look at their point differential last year, they probably should have been a six-win team. Maybe optimistically could have won seven based on their point differential. Maybe, but I think six is probably where they would have landed simply based on their plus-minus over the course of the year. So maybe right. were they a little worse than what they are you know, Record might have been, yes, but remember, they won some close games too, and a product of losing those close games isn't just, oh, it was bad luck. It's no, your team wasn't good enough to close the game out. So I'm with Lance. I'm not a big right. fan of that close game, quote-unquote, excuse, and, and, and I know Coach Shermer isn't really into that either. I hear you. Um, on the other hand, you know, you guys said you, you didn't want to be Debbie Doubters. Of and, course not. Uh, we're looking at reasons for optimism is my call. Um, so we can we can beg to differ, but I do think that, you know, second year in offensive uh, scheme, right? That's right. a fair second point. Year with the, 100%. Second year with the coach. Yep, okay. A completely different offensive line. Yep. Now, now, you guys can always come back and say you don't know what's going to happen with injuries, but I've been tearing my hair out because of this offensive line for years, and this is the best preseason look at an offensive line that I've seen, you know, since maybe before our uh, uh, Super Bowl 42, to be honest. And then, and reasons for optimism, you got to go back to Saquon Barkley, man. 2,000-plus yards behind a terrible offensive line. And, uh, and, and what the heck is he going to do? So, look, I, I hear a lot of people calling in that are, that are excited and that think this team has improved, the secondary improved. I called them before. I said, God, I thought our safety tandem last year was just terrible. I thought Landon Collins had one of his worst years. I, I haven't seen the stat for missed tackles, but I think he had a ton of them, and he kept trying to blow people up instead of rap, and, you know, our back end was just empty. So uh, I just think there. I think there's – I'm not saying we're a Super Bowl team, but this is the time of year for optimism. And I think there are a whole bunch of things about where we're at that gives me a lot of hope. 
Well, I like a lot of the points you listed after the whole strength of schedule, Mike. So Thank you, Mike. I, appreciate the call. I'm certainly going to give you credit there and appreciate the phone call. Absolutely. He should have started off with that criteria, Mike. The, the problem is I didn't like the order that you presented that. <laughs> if you would have started off with second year in the offense, second year with the same head coach, Saquon Barkley, I would have said that's got a lot more substance in stock. And offensive line. And offensive line than you quoting me how many close games they played in 2018. So I think he turned the corner very nicely with that. Phone it's call. about talent on the field. Look, that's ninety percent of the time. That's what it's going to come down to. What team's more talented? And we saw too many times the last couple of years the talent was deficient. You know, I have to go back and count. I I did the tally last year. How many guys on this roster are left from when Dave Gettleman first got here? Oh boy. Well, let's do it real quick. Eli and Zach Diossi. Eli, the first two Zach, guys Janoris Jenkins. He's still here from when he got here. Sterling Shepard. Okay. Evan Ingram. None of the offensive line. Yeah, I'm looking through the list here. Not of one. The roster um, as we go down the list. B.J. Goodson, right? Okay. Third year. Yep. Six. None of the safeties. None of the other corners. None of the other wide receivers. Did we say Red Ellison, right? Because Ellison was with McAdoo. So seven. Red should be on that That's list. Seven. I mean, Avery, Wayne Goldman. Do you want to count Wayne? Yeah, Wayne Goldman. Do you want to count Avery Moss? Yeah, I would count him. I mean, you know, guys okay. on the roster I mean, right now. He still doesn't actually play. <laughs> but, I mean, we're talking about a 90-man right, roster fine. in That's fairness. That's nine. We haven't gotten it to 53. That's nine. I'm continuing to go down this list here. I no, it's... Uh, it I mean, gets, you brought it, it, up it, Jenkins. The I'm list gets short real quick. Sure, the list gets short real quick. Yeah, a lot of young guys, a lot of new phases. Yeah, I think so. So Ogletree he acquired after he got here. Peppers is new. Paul Perkins? Yep, 10. Okay. But again, like Moss, not really playing no, much. No, uh -huh. we're not talking about a lot of reps, to your point. So Anybody in their third year here or later, that's the, that, that that's what you're looking yeah. at. But remember, some guys have extra of years course. in the league, and they of just course, weren't of course, here. Of course, of course, So that's the other reason why I'm not just looking at the number. I think it's 10. I'm looking at the list. 10 sounds like a good number. And that's counting two guys that don't really play. Sounds fairly accurate, too. Dalvin Tomlinson, did you include him on the no, list? No, that's 11. Okay. That's a good one. I think that's eleven. Everybody, and then you know. Even what about Chad Wheeler? No, last year was his rookie year, undrafted free agent. Yes, you're right. Okay, you right? know I'm looking at the number. Well, not no, not last year. He was, he was on the air for this is he's entering his third season in the league. No, wasn't last year his rookie undrafted? Free, Why he, was a, he was a rookie undrafted free agent last year. No, Chad Wheeler is listed on our roster as entering his third season. I'm. Am I wrong about just that? I thought he was that. undrafted free agent last no, year. Wheeler, I believe, was undrafted 2017. Yeah, 17 and 18. 17, okay. Yeah. My so, bad. He's uh he's another guy. He was on the practice squad so far. Yeah. Year. That's right. So uh, once again, Avery Moss, same mm -hmm. thing. So he uh he would be in the list. So we're talking about like twelve guys. Yeah. Including about, two guys that really don't play. Yeah. So I mean, ten not a would lot. be a, a fair round off number, but yeah, it's been a tremendous amount of turnover. And you know, that to me is perhaps another optimistic outlook as we piggyback off of the last caller, Mike. A lot of change. And with change, sometimes you need to preach patience, as Dave Gettleman has, because you can't just expect everybody to come together immediately. But he's trying to transform the locker room. He's trying to transform in X's and O's to give the personnel to Pat Shermer that he can utilize. And, you know, when he was at Carolina, a little bit different because of the roster that he took over. But in fairness... If you go back, he inherited one of the worst salary cap situations in NFL history. And over time, 
you know, he did a lot of the heavy lifting. He drafted some guys. He parted ways with veterans, made some difficult decisions. And, you know, they were a consistent team that made the postseason. Now, are the Giants there yet? Time's going to tell. But I think that it's a similar approach that he doesn't shy away from if he doesn't think the nucleus looks good. And he has no problem with making the tough decisions to part ways with those individuals. And I think he's done that in both organizations thus far. Charlie in Portland, Maine is up next. Hey, Charlie. Hey, guys. How y'all doing? We're great, Charlie. What's up? No music today, which is phenomenal. (laughs) Hey, um, just the flip side of what you were saying, John. Yeah. I mean, you were were saying that, you know, everyone's clickbait and they just have to write stories. And Well, the other side of that is orgs and corporations and football teams weren't so opaque. And they actually were forthcoming and a little bit more truthful. They wouldn't have to write stuff that they get a little information here and a little bit of information there. And that's why they have to do that. Charlie, so, I had a question I for you. Do you, do, you sure. do you think Bill Parcells was, was telling these writers back in 1986, you know, who his, you know, what, 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 is, what, what his exact depth chart time. is? No, but my point John. is that reporters never had all that information. It's not just today. Yeah, but you got Twitter. You got millions. You well, got you got all this. It's a different. No, 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 no hold on one second. No, no, that's that's fine. Well, no, well, I agree, Charlie. What would you like the Giants to exactly spell out to the media that they're not spelling out right now? I just think they just need to be just a little bit more forthcoming. Explain more how. Just, how? 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 Give me well, examples, like please. When they said we're not going to trade Odell Beckham. They never said we're not going to trade Odell Beckham, first of all. Yeah, see, it was just like spicing little words and semantics. Just Yes, it's know, called the English language. About. Just Wait, be honest. Well, but Charlie, yeah, you trade him. Charlie, you're, you're, Charlie, you keep focusing on that quote from Dave Gettleman where he said that we did not sign him to trade him. But how do you know? How do you know that at the time that that quote was said that every intention was to keep him on the team which obviously we have no evidence to counter well, that, all, and then and then all of a sudden conversations and dialogues change over time. To get rid of him a long time ago. No, but by the way, no, no one's. First of all, that that that, that First of all, that's not yeah, true. That Second said? of all, if you go out there and say we're looking to trade him, do you know what happens to your leverage? It goes yeah, to the you know what. I understand that. I, I, so then, I why would you that. want the Giants to hurt themselves by telling people that they want to trade a guy? It's it's yeah, stupid. Yeah, but yeah. we didn't get, like, a boatload for Odell. I mean, it wasn't like we, you know what I mean? It you got like value we commensurate. We didn't say anything, and we got three first-round picks. Well, but Charlie, com- Charlie, you tell me another wide receiver that was traded for three first-round picks. I'll he wait. is a wide receiver that should have been traded well, for three Well, I don't care picks. what you He's think. No, no, I want, no, 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 hold on. No, non- based on the market. You tell me another wide receiver that was traded for three first-round picks. No, There's no other wide receiver like Odell Beckham. Yeah, well, period. No non-quarterback has ever been traded for three first-round picks. The uh, franchise that's tag. Why I wouldn't have traded him. Well, if but I couldn't have got for first three round. Charlie, picks, the I franchise tag only that's gets you two first-round picks. I just wanted to bring that up. Of course, another we, side of that coin. You wanted to revisit okay? history, of course, Charlie. You never disappoint. No, no but Charlie, my no, but Charlie, my no, but Charlie, you literally want the team to hurt their position, and you want the team to hurt themselves. I don't understand why no, you would I want, them, want to them to do that. To be not opaque and to be a little bit more forthcoming. Well, then you won't get all. Okay, so here's what I think. I, I so here's what I here's here's what I think they should do for you, Charlie. When Pat Shermer does his Friday press conference, he should bring the media into the auditorium and put up on the projector 
and just no, show the media the plays they're going to run on Sunday. Why don't I, I think they should do that, that too. Yeah, they <laughs> should absolutely do that. There's a lot of stuff that you yeah. guys can't talk about. How many times? No, we can't talk about it. We can't talk well, about we can't, it. We well, can't like what? Like if, wait, well, first of all, when, when, it, when the team doesn't officially announce a transaction, it's all speculation. So, of course, you have to wait for there to be official work. And in fairness, Charlie, we've always talked about things and said based on reports, but it's just not official. Yeah. So that, that's you off have. base in terms and, of and, and by the way, Charlie, do you know why we have to do that? If we do it the other way, the league can levy penalties sure. on the team. So go, yeah, so so go yell at the NFL. Don't exactly. <laughs> we we our asses will be out on the yeah. street. Correct. So go call hey, the league up. offices in Manhattan. They and don't Charlie, talk to us. And even if we're not here anymore, I guarantee you, they still wouldn't hire you to fill our yeah, void. Exactly. So don't get that optimistic. Thank you, Charlie. <laughs> Take it yeah. easy, buddy. Always good to hear from you. Bruce and Albany will will wrap oh, us up today. Boy. Hey, Bruce. Bruce, boy, do you have big shoes to fill? Is that is this an easy act to follow or a tough? No, act? I would easy. say it's a very easy act. Yeah, to I agree. I'm I'm confused. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Bruce. What's up? There's a player who was our number one receiver in camp last year, and I think his position was our third receiver going into the regular season, and nobody's mentioned one word about him. No, Cody Latimer. Cody Latimer. Yeah, I think I, right now, if I had to put a depth chart up there of the Giants' wide receiver crew, I think he'd be my number three. Okay, I just, <laughs> I just thought maybe I was missing something. I checked no. the roster, see if he was traded. In, uh, no, I mean, not at all. He was resigned. He's getting deep on people, and he's big and fast, and you know, everybody's talking about everybody else. And, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, right now, Bruce. So, I, I think with if you go three wide receivers right now, I think either Shepard or Tate, depending on the play, would go into the slot, and Latimer would be your outside guy, and he'd be your primary deep threat right now. Like, yeah, I think that's okay. true. All right, so I'm not crazy after all. No, no, you're not. not. I mean, remember, he he was Despite listening to Charlie, you are not crazy. And and, and Bruce, remember, Cody Latimer was hurt for the majority of last season. Yeah, he hurt his hamstring. I mean, you're right. He made some plays, but unfortunately, he was sidelined for the majority of the year. I think he missed, what, 10 games, and then he came back? Yeah, something like that. Correct. He returned from IR. Yep. Yeah. Well, when he did play, he, he, he was awesome, so I just... I'm just glad nobody forgot about him. Yeah, no, <laughs> absolutely and, not. And I actually would take it a step further and appreciate the phone call, Bruce. Thanks so much for weighing in. That I think the depth at wide receiver is somewhat overlooked. I think everybody's focusing on Sterling Shepard and Golden Tate. But since John loves me to talk about depth, I'm going to emphasize this once again because Bruce opened the door for this. You, you giggle over there like a little schoolgirl. You so don't. I'm to you. you don't need me to no, encourage okay. you to talk about no, better depth. I, you I do that all on your own. I think sir. it's a fair conversation because <laughs> yeah, Corey, sure you do. Corey Coleman to me, I think has an opportunity to make an impact other than a special. Frankly, team. it might be his last opportunity. Well, that very may former first well round pick truth. on his fourth fourth organization. Yeah, but he wasn't here at all last offseason with the Giants. So right. I think his knowledge of the offense, being here with the team, you know, that's a player to watch. I know that Cody Latimer, you mentioned, has the leg up, and he should, but I would not rule out that Corey Coleman, when it's all said and done, John, may be the number three wide receiver on this team. Very possible. Or maybe it's Russell Shepard again, too. Russell Shepard is the next guy who I think was probably one of the most underrated signings this offseason. What Shepard does on special teams and how he filled in when a guy like Latimer was hurt, nobody seems to talk about that. And Darius Slayton, a young guy who's got four three sub four four speed, is another guy. How about Benny Fowler? Yep, Benny Fowler's another veteran who was with Tyke Tolbert, the wide receivers coach in Denver. So was Latimer, by the way. Yeah. So I mean, we named four guys right there. That this is not just a bunch of unknown rookies. These are guys who have been in the league. So they're all going to battle. They're all going to fight. And I think that it's going to 
provide the Giants with a very tough decision to determine, you know, how many wide receivers they keep and who should be number three, who should be number four. There's some good competition in camp this year. Real quickly, a couple tweets, Lance. Uh, Molly, Molly, I, Eli can't play defense. What if he has a great year statistically, but they lose nine games because of the defense and or special teams? That's a good question. Um, I think in that case, if he has a really good year offensively and the team doesn't win because of the defense, yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any guarantee he's not going to be back next year. Uh, my point is that the only thing that guarantees you that Eli stays on the field for all 16 games this year is if the team wins, which means they're in playoff contention, yeah. and he plays well. Because even if he plays well and they're not in playoff contention, they might be like, all right, well, let's see what Daniel Jones can do. Absolutely. That, that's the point we were making with that. Well, because Eli, remember, this is the final year of his contract, so we don't know anything beyond this season. And right. if it's a situation where they're competitive and it's the Redskins game down the stretch of the season, John, and it's lopsided, maybe that affords an opportunity for sure. Daniel Jones to get into a game. But if it's mathematically out of contention with five games to go— yeah, all bets are off because they may say, hey, the opportunity is there if despite how ready. good Eli's playing yeah. to maybe, you know, throw Daniel Jones to the Wolves and, and let's see how he could perform. But, yeah, if they're in contention and Eli's performing well, I really don't think there's anything to debate about at that point. Lance, good stuff. Absolutely. We'll be back tomorrow with another episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com. For Lance Menno, I'm John Schmelk. It was all presented by Coors Light. We'll see you tomorrow. Adios. Have a good one.